Our scripture this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. It's the fourth of four Gospels in the New Testament. The verses will be on the screens as well. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then jump ahead to verse 11 and read 11 through 14 as well. Let us receive God's word for us this morning. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jumping down to verse 11, He, that is Jesus, came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's Word for us, God's people. So we give thanks to God. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for your word. We can just open it up and read it anytime. Uh, But we don't approach your word alone. We approach your word together with the saints gathered in fellowship with one another. And we approach your word with your Holy Spirit indwelling us, giving us understanding, giving us eyes to see, ears to hear. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your word to us this morning. God, please move me aside. Bind my tongue and my lips that no false word might pass from them. But you speak for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, rewind about three years in the life of Zach. And you will find a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, 25-year-old freshman in college. I remember my first day, uh, I was so excited to go and take in-person classes at Lone Star Tomball, go Timberwolves. And uh, yeah, that wasn't believable, was it? I don't care about the Timberwolves, but I was at Lone Star College Tomball at this time, and I was excited for my first class, uh, which was English composition. And I hear some groans about English composition. I was actually excited because I'm an English guy, Um, not so much on the math and science, um, which is why I'm getting a finance degree. Um, But uh, anyway, English comp. So uh, in this class, I learned many things, like how to college. Right? You turn in all your assignments by the due date, and you'll probably be fine. Uh, you'll probably do all right in your classes. Another lesson I learned 
don't trust your classmates on group projects. Um, you know, just the basics of college, that sort of stuff. Um, but I also learned some valuable English lessons in this class. I remember one assignment we got was the task of writing a persuasive essay. Uh, and I learned the lesson that when you're attempting to convince your audience of a certain point or position in a persuasive essay, you must always, always establish the credentials of your sources. Establish the credentials of your sources. Uh, the Bible has four different Gospels, four different historical accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, each one written by a different author with a different perspective, and each one having a different purpose. So who in this room can tell me the writer of the Gospel of John? Huh? You can say it like you believe it. John, gold star for Emily. John was written by John. Now, this is not John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. This is the Apostle John, who was a disciple of Jesus. And uh, the purpose of John in writing his account is to convince his readers to believe in Jesus. And so, obviously, John must have taken the same English comp class as me because he opens this book by establishing the credentials of his source. He establishes three things about Jesus. He establishes the identity of Jesus, he establishes the power of Jesus, and he establishes the purpose of Jesus. John writes in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He calls Jesus the Word, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, John establishes the identity of Jesus, this man whom his readers would have known about, maybe have met personally. He establishes the identity of this man that they would have known as God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word, Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to establish the power of Jesus. He says that through him all things were made, and apart from him nothing was made. Everything that has been made in all of creation was made with the power of the hand of Jesus upon it. And finally, John establishes the purpose of Jesus. He says that in him was life, and that life was the light for all mankind. The purpose of Jesus was to glorify the Father through offering himself to the human race as life and the true light in the darkness. What an incredibly magnificent and glorious God this Jesus is. You know, this Christmas has been hitting me a little differently uh, than past Christmases. I have a friend named Brian, and, and when he prays, he always prays and says to God, God, I have no idea how you sent your son to die for us, because I could never do that with my own son, but I'm so glad you did. And I always felt like I understood that intellectually, um, but I never 
I guess in hindsight, was able to fully connect with it emotionally and personally until I met uh, my own son, Ellis, about five months ago. I remember when he was a newborn, uh, he was about three weeks early, and he was totally healthy, but he was very small. He was not even six pounds. And um, I've been around a lot of babies in my life. I'm the oldest of 10 kids. I have uh, invested a lot of care and energy and love into my brothers and sisters. Uh, And maybe pridefully, I've always kind of considered myself a baby expert relative to other people of my age and gender. Um, But let me tell you, I have never in my life been so aware of the breathing of another human being as with my son Ellis. I remember uh, he slept in our room for the first several weeks of his life in a bassinet, and I would wake up multiple times every night, and that's in itself crazy because I'm a world champion sleeper. I never wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom from a noise, nothing, fire alarm, doesn't wake me up. But I would wake up multiple times throughout the night, and instantaneously on my brain was this thought, is Ellis breathing? And I would hold my breath to listen for his breathing. I would sneak over to the bassinet, put my fingers in front of his mouth and nose just to check, because I was so painfully aware of the frailty of human life in my son. Every little gurgling sound that he made, I was like certain he was choking on his own spit-up or saliva, and I'd rush over there, and he was totally fine every time. Um, and I remember, uh, I remember him napping on my chest. I was blessed to have a decent paternity leave, and uh, I got to have Ellis nap on my chest for hours upon hours. And I would just be laying there reading, but I could hardly get through one paragraph without pausing to hold my breath just to see if I could feel his little chest moving up and down. This Christmas hit me differently because of that appreciation as a father now more than ever before for the frailty of human life, and I think, God, you sent your son into this? Hey, buddy. I think, Jesus, you stepped from the very throne of grace into the body of an infant, frail, small, Weak. I don't know how you did it, but I'm so glad that you did. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, that uh, the life that you and I lead as, as teens and adults, it's no less frail than the life of a newborn child. And you know that, I know that, 
intellectually, but we, we kid ourselves. We fantasize that the tomorrow is guaranteed. We think that uh, we live as though we have uh, decades of life ahead of us, guaranteed. We have no thought that not even our next breath is promised. And we forget that beyond this physical reality in which we live, there is a spiritual reality that is far more influential. John alludes to it when he says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The year uh, 2021 at Covenant, our annual theme has been the word revive. And though revive strikes me, at least, as a very hopeful, life-giving word, um, you can't have revival without the presence of death. You ever think about that? If there's no death, there's nothing to revive. In our passage of Scripture for this year's theme, uh, we've touched on it at various points throughout the year, is Ezekiel 37. We're going to read a few verses from there now. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. Ezekiel writes, The hand of the Lord was on me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, among the bones, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he, God, asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to your question. And so this passage of Scripture describes for us a divine vision that Ezekiel the prophet was given by God to send a message, a prophetic message for his people. And God paints a picture for Ezekiel of a valley full of skeletons and bones, a valley over whom the shadow of death resides. And the picture that God gave Ezekiel in this vision struck him so starkly that his recording doesn't just say this valley was full of bones. It says that these bones were very dry. Very dry. So that gives us a little bit of information about this valley. It's not a valley fresh off the battlefield uh, with bodies um, scattered about from the ruins of a battle. No, these bones are the drab remnants of decomposition and death that had reigned for years upon years upon years. And when you think about revival, take Jesus, for instance, raising people to life, you think about a, a body that still has skin and flesh on it, right? But if you came across a skeleton of very dry bones, likely you wouldn't think that this skeleton is a candidate for resurrection, for revival. But here's the thing. This prophetic word from God 
says that such is the state of the heart of every unbeliever. Bones with no skin, no flesh. Bones that are very, very dry. Dead remnants of a great tragedy. The tragedy of sin and brokenness, which appears to have no hope of revival. And yet God asks Ezekiel the question in verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel replies, Sovereign Lord, only you know. If you're listening to this message and you are an unbeliever, there is hope. In fact, this point of this prophetic message is not to discourage you at the state of your heart. Rather, it is to offer hope that the sovereign Lord God speaks and breathes life into the driest of bones. But to the church, to the body of saints, the same principle, though our hearts are not dead spiritually, the same principle can apply to us. Maybe you can relate to feeling dry in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Maybe it feels, feels lacking you feel guilty because you haven't been putting in the effort that you think you should, or you think back to the last time you felt the refreshing sweetness of His presence, and you can't even remember what it tastes like because it's been so long. Or maybe you've been riding high for quite some time now, but you went back to the well of your past life, your past sin, and you felt as though everything for which you had been living came crashing down in one fatal moment. Or maybe this message is for you to take with you and use later in your life. But this question, whatever of the buckets you fit into, this question is for you, son of man. Can these bones live? And God's answer is for you. And he gives a glorious answer to his own question. He says to Ezekiel in 37 verses 4 and 5, it says, Then he said to me, Ezekiel, God said, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Verse 6 continues on, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am 
the Lord. This is the truly wonderful hope we have. But it gets better. It gets better. There's something that we have to take note of in this verse. Verse 4. The Sovereign Lord says, Dry bones, all of us, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Someone remind me the name given to Jesus in John chapter 1. The word. The word of the Lord. So why would John call Jesus the word? Matthew Henry, in his, uh, his concise commentary of John chapter 1, says this in answer. The plainest reason why the Son of God is called the Word seems to be that just as our words explain our minds to others, so was the Son of God sent in order to reveal the Father's mind to the world. The plainest reason why the Son of God is called the Word seems to be that as our words explain our minds to others, so was the Son of God sent in order to reveal the Father's mind to the world. Church, in all of creation of which Jesus is the Creator, the way in which we most effectively communicate what is in our minds is speech, words, language. We speak our minds. And in the same exact way, Jesus, in all the life that he lived, was lived as if it were the very words of God breathed from his lips to tell us what was in his mind. And what was in the mind of God when he spoke the word? Verse 12 in John chapter 1, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Ezekiel 37, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. John chapter 1 verse 4, In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus is the very Word of God speaking life, breathing life into us. Though we are frail, small, delicate human beings, not unlike that of a newborn child. And yet again, it gets better. It gets better. You see, God doesn't just offer us life, revival to our old self. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that we're revived to something new. It says, yet to all 
who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave, this is it right here, the right to become children of God. The right. The word right in Greek is the word exousia. It means authority, conferred power, and delegated empowerment. So let's read it again. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he conferred power on them to become children of God. You see, we don't just get revived back to life for another chance at our old self. No, we get revived into a new life. We take on a new name, and God confers His own adoptive power onto us to become something new. Children of the Most High God. And so church, no matter how dry the bones, no matter how empty the soul, anyone who will receive and believe, who will receive Jesus for who He is, His identity as God and Lord of all the earth, His power over all things, and His purpose as the giver of life and light. To all who will receive Him for who He is and believe in His name, they will receive the legal right in the courts of heaven to take on a new name, And become a child of God. And God is a perfect, perfect Father. One who not only cares about your breath, but He's a Father who need not check if it's still there because He is the very one sustaining the breath in your lungs. Brother, sister, if you're listening to this, whether you feel completely spiritually dead, maybe you've never believed and received even once, or maybe you just feel dry and weak because it's been so long since you've had that moment with your Heavenly Father. Or maybe the trials in your life of late have been so severe that you can't imagine how could there be a God who's present in this, who loves me. God is inviting you to take hold of this delegated power, this legal right in the courts of heaven this authority in the spiritual realm to embrace a new identity as His child. And whether it be for the first time 
or the hundredth time or the thousandth time. All you need do is receive and believe and take the authority to step into your identity as a child of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, again, I don't know how you sent your son to die for each of us. I could never do it. But I'm so thankful that you did. I'm so thankful that you did. Father, this spirit of Christmas, this spirit of celebration that God, Jesus, stepped into the frailty of a human body, that of a baby, need not pass away with the passing away of the season. Let it sink in deeply into our souls into our hearts, that it might impact the way in which we live. Change us from the inside out. Take our dry bones, breathe life into them. Put flesh, tendons, skin, and breathe your breath into our lungs that we might go out into the world offering the breath of life the good news message of Jesus Christ to the world around us help us to live as those who have been revived to new life a new name a new identity and invite others into that same revival. We love you, Father, but it's only because you loved us first and sent your Son to invite us in. And so, once again, we give you thanks. We have prayed in your name, Jesus.